Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Overcoming Podcast. I'm Derek. I'm Louise. And today we have a special guest, Priya. You want to go ahead and... Sure. Thank you. First of all, I want to thank Luis and Derek for inviting me to their show. I'm so excited. I'm a fan of their show. I've listened to it, and I think it's amazing. Uh, my name is Priya Ray. I am the founder of a grassroots group called DIY Able, and um, my goal is my goal is really to make people aware of disability, um, and I like to break the stereotypes of disability. I what my goal is to get a society where someone says they're disabled and we aren't necessarily not that we're not being empathetic towards each other but it isn't like oh i feel so sorry for you or i don't know if i could live the way you do i'd kill myself and do you not know, just the things people say when they don't understand what it's like to live with disability so let's start with music okay I'm also a musician, and I played in a band for 30 years called Creamy Santa. So besides my album, I do that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, the band, I started it with my partner, and we never remember dates when people tell us, like, what, what he's screaming out there, 92. But I, I actually think it's, like, 90, but... He says 92, so we, that's like a discussion we have. But early 90s, we started. Um, I was not disabled at the time. Uh, my disability is from a spinal cord injury. Um, so I was non-disabled at the time, and I started the band. And we were part of a movement of music and art that was called a DIY movement. And... It got its roots mostly in America through, I would say, the punk rock movement that kind of started in the early 80s and went through the 90s. Um, punk rock can mean so much different things. So a lot of people don't like, like disability. People don't like to identify with it. So, um, but you know, for me, punk rock is just go doing what you want and putting it out there and making it happen however you can. And so we were we were like on the more creative end than like the kind of aggressive music and stuff like, I mean, we have aggressive songs, but then it'll like start like kind of like this metal thing and then it'll go to like a folk, like the change will be like a folk thing all the time. So, you know, we just like, we like to make people question what is going on. So that's like, that was like always our goal. And we became part of the DIY. We started off in Miami, Florida. We became part of the DIY community there. And, um, you know, I always like to say people are in the right place at the right time as far as fame or something happening for them. Um, so we happened to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, it was the early 90s. There were, um, you know, a bunch of punk bands that didn't have equipment and we did like these cool things like uh, punk picnics. And so you must remember we were in Miami, so the weather was warm pretty much all year round. So we did these things, punk picnics and landfills where we got generators and everyone came out and, you know, drank alcohol, of course. And we were just out in the sun drinking, playing music and, um, the cool thing is there's a lot of great photographs of that. So 
even if the shirts were like totally horrible, the photographs are amazing because we're like in these gravel pits performing. And so it was really fun. But the way the community existed is we all did it together. It wasn't like one band, one person. It was a different people. Like we, we were a little older, so we had equipment. So a lot of the bands didn't have equipment, so we supplied the equipment. Um, so a lot of bands, like we would have a show, like one of these punk rock picnics, and all the bands would be using our equipment. And, you know, then you had people that booked the shows that, you know, got found a venue that was like a dive bar and turned it into a venue. So it was like a bunch of people working together to make that community exist. And even to this day now, that community we started in the 90s has such a big influence on the Miami music community because we just did, we did things that still continue today, but it was, we were like kind of, you know, we were the first people that did a lot of the things we did and it's influenced that community today. And even today, like people will, I'll get an email out of the blue, be like, I was set years old and I started a band and I got to open for your band and that was the first you know my first uh you know experience of being a part of that or people will be like we were at your show when we met and then we got together and we got married so like these really like amazing stories of how we had these shows and we didn't know what we were doing we just were playing music but a lot of things happen at these shows like couples met friends met people had their first music experience so i don't know it always makes me so happy when i play when we go back to miami and play a show and someone like in their 30s or 40s are like i met my husband at your show and it, you guys were so important to me so i'm like oh thank you that's so nice so, so yeah so that's how i started nice louise do you have any questions yeah um what was the inspiration to start your movement back then? Well, you know, it's like, I think we look back at history and we're, we think, oh, they did this with, the, with that intentional purpose of making that happen. But really, it was like we had a vision of how we wanted to play our music. And then there were other people that didn't have the same vision. They were just like, we're into the, like a Ramones influence fan. But it was just, we just all wanted to play. We wanted to play our music and we wanted to play for people. And so that's was our inspiration for doing it. It was, we weren't so like, we want to create this community that's going to influence influence things for 30 years like you know we had no way of knowing that was going to happen so our inspiration was really that we didn't we didn't want to focus on getting signed to a label getting a booking agent getting you know doing all these things that was the infrastructure of music you know from the you know from the 50s 60s 70s in the 80s it changed a little with this diy punk movement um but that's kind of what it was about it was about not being connected to corporate money or money in general just figuring it out a way for a community 
to do it itself. So I, I, you know, in hindsight, now I'm 52 years old. I was 20 something back then. Um, hindsight, I think I was drawn to it because it was about community. It was about a community getting together and making something happen. So that's, I would say, was my inspiration and my draw to something like that. Can you tell us a little bit about your spinal cord injury and how that, how was that? Did you want to know like how it happened? Yeah, I can yeah. go through the whole yeah, I don't mind. Um uh what it ties into the Oh yeah, it ties into the <laughs> Robert, my partner, and we've been in the band together for 30 years. So this is like our our living experience where he's like, Oh, don't forget to say this. So anyway, it does actually tie into the music because um I don't know, we got tired of Miami and in nineteen ninety Eight, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, our initial plan was we wanted to move to the Bay Area, but you know, at the time the Bay Area was getting so expensive, so we I think we were a little hesitant because we didn't make a lot of money. We just all worked, you know, low-paying jobs, and you know, we're kind of a, a little afraid of whether we'd be able to figure out the affordability of living you know finding a place moving in living so we moved to atlanta georgia and um and we had friends there because the other thing i left out is we got hooked up with a touring network so while we were living in miami we toured you know at least twice a year and the way we toured is we'd be like, hey, we're coming to your town. Can you book a show for us? And they book it in their house or one of these venues. You know, the same thing we did. So it was like kind of a back and forth, like they booked a tour for us, show for us where they lived. We would book a show where we lived and we would promote, get money for the band. We'd all play the shows and all the door money went to the touring band. And that's that was like the etiquette if you want to call it that of what we did back then so um i moved to atlanta because i we had a lot of friends there and we were coming from miami so we didn't want to move to a small town because we were afraid of moving to a small town coming from a big city so like so we chose atlanta and um uh, i hadn't even lived there a year but we had already kind of decided we weren't really into living in atlanta and we just wanted to move to the bay area and we had friends there too that we knew from this touring network that we had been a part of and um they were like yeah come here you can live here you can crush on the floor too. you can find a place so so that was kind of our plan we were like talking about moving there and, um there was a DIY space in Atlanta that was called C11. And the reason it was called C11 was because there were these warehouses in Southeast Atlanta. And that was the, you know, they were called C11, C12, C, you know, that was. So C11, which is a, was a huge influence on the punk DIY movement in Atlanta. And we play there quite often. And then when we moved there, we would, you know, we'd go to see bands and friends of ours, we'd book them there and that's where we'd see them. So it's interesting because I had been there so many times and they had a skate ramp or a half pipe. So anyone familiar with skateboarding, which I think you guys are, because I don't know, Derek, you said something, you were doing a project with skateboards. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh, Derek, that is so half pipe for anyone that doesn't know and i'm sure you've all seen it it's like the, these things that go like this that skateboarders go back and forth and skate them so 
I never had been up there and um, I, my band wasn't even playing. And the night of my injury, we were like, let's go to the show at C11. Like, okay. So we went there and then, I don't know, a couple of my friends just, I think they were like, let's climb to the top of this skate half pipe thing, which I had never, ever, ever done in the millions of times I had been there. And so unfortunately that day, I think somebody was working on electrical or something. I, that's this part of the story. I don't really know, but they had left a panel out in the, off, in the top of the deck where the, of the skate ramp. So like my, I had two friends and they were walked and I guess they realized that there wasn't a panel there, but I guess I didn't realize and I stepped into the empty panel and fell through. And, you know, I think I fell in a sitting position and that's what happened. And mm. tell you an interesting story. I didn't really know that had happened actually. I just kind of made the assumption just from what little bits of information people were telling me. But then 17 years after my injury, because in Chattanooga, Tennessee, there's this really amazing, and I consider these people my family, essentially, like over the years we've been friends so long. So uh, they have a music festival every year, which they couldn't do this year because of the pandemic. It's called Do You Hear We? And it's a music festival that it's been, I think it's been having about 15 years. And um bands the family bands like the network that part of the network we all go there every year play these shows all see each other be like oh it's been so long it's been so long so it's like a great thing and um i went we went there after my injury i i you know i continued the band even after i was disabled and um we went there and i bumped into a my friend that was up that went up there with me like for some reason we had just never talked about what actually happened up there. And, and then I told her, I was like, yeah, Josette, you know, I, I actually never, I never really knew what happened all this time. Like I, she goes, Oh, you did it. Let me tell you. And so then she's like me, you and Andrew and Andrew was our bass player. And uh, he's like, we all went up there and, I, it's like I went for, or Andrew went first and he jumped over it and then it was me and I jumped over it and then I looked back and you weren't there and I was like, where did Priya go? And then they went and they saw that I'd fallen through the thing. So I, I didn't really know what had actually happened until 17 years after my injury and my band was about to play when she told me that. So I was like thinking to myself, how am I dealing? Is this freaking me out? How am I processing? <laughs> But I just kind of realized it's not really freaking me out. Oh, you know, I, I had a verification of what actually happened. So it didn't really freak me out. And I went and performed. And performing is such a cathartic thing. So I guess it didn't have freak me out. <laughs> Playing in the band, like, you know, stress or trauma. But I, I don't know if it really traumatized me. I just, you know, I'd already been disabled for 17 years. So... I wasn't really traumatized by the story of what had actually happened. So, so after hearing that story 17 years later, how did it uh, make 
that's your situation worse or how did that go? Um, learning that, I don't know. I don't think it made my situation worse. I think I was actually relieved because now when people ask me what happened, I can be like, this is what happened. Because up until then, I was like, I'm not really sure. I don't remember but from all the little bits of information i've been told by a bunch of different people and i have no idea why i never talked to my friend just said about that because we had seen each other after that so we didn't even spoke to each other but for some reason we just never talked about that until that night so for me it didn't affect me it i don't know i think it actually made it better because now i could be like this is what happened instead of being like I'm not sure. You know, so. so I mean, there go with with the we talked about your music. We talked a little bit about your disability. Let's talk about your art. Okay. So how did you get involved with going from music to art? Okay, so I am both. I'm a musician and art. I've always been went to art school. Um, I actually was going to art school and that's when I met my partner, Robert. And, you know, we had been going about two years. Then we decided to start a band because he was a musician, actually. And I had played violin like growing up. Um, you know, my mom made me take violin lessons and learn violin. And I was like, I didn't like it because it was like classical music. And now, you know, and now I kind of have an appreciation for it and I kind of wish I had kind of like been more serious about it. But, you know, I did learn how to play violin. And um, so when we, Robert and I started the band, he was like, why don't you pick up the violin? I had the violin, so I was like, why don't we try that? So I was like, okay. So I play violin in my band and I, I'm a violinist and vocalist in my band. And so I was going to art school for photography and that was my major. My major was photography. And um, yeah, so that's, I always did both. And now we, see, now we see why we have something in common. Yes. I know. I was like, I'm a photographer too, Derek. <laughs> so were you able to finish your, your schooling or... Yeah, I graduated with a BFA in photography from Florida International University. And that was the, that's like the Florida State School in Miami. Um, so that actually has a really excellent photography department. And um, so I went, that's where I got my BFA from. And then, I don't know, after I graduated, a lot of my friends went on to do their master's and stuff. But I was just like, eh, I'm kind of over. I don't know. By the time I was ending art school, I was so tired of like, critiques and talking about my art and what it meant and blah 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 so i was just sick of this and then i also worked as a preparator and a, a lot of that was what i did as a job while i was going to art school and being in the band so i was a preparator for a lot of galleries and i just would meet all these artists that were like known and recognized and i just didn't like them and i didn't like the stuff they had to say I, like I cannot be a part of this world. So, so yeah, at the end of art school, I realized, oh no, you're not, I'm not sure why I did this because you know it's like, but you know I don't regret it because um, 
I don't know. I learned a lot about photography, you know, about the history of photography and just learned about a lot of photographers and the work they did. And so that I'm really happy for that part of my education. It's just like, I, it wasn't going to turn into an art career for me necessarily. And I was doing the band. So I just, and you know, because I was, it was like a DIY slash punk band or whatever you want to call it. Um, my art creativity was also, you know, making flyers and record albums and stuff like that is also art. So I just was like, oh, I'm already going to be making art with my band. So I don't really need to get masters to do that. So, yeah. So I just decided not to continue on with the academic education of my art. Louise? Um, so we've talked about your art. Um, going back to your music, did you ever make it to the Bay Area? And oh if why or why not well i did in the 90s we did tour to the, we had a lot like so let me explain the network so in the 90s the net it was like a it was so bizarre how this network fell into place so it was like miami chattanooga tennessee and huntington alabama was also in part of that network because a lot of bands from the Huntington, Alabama scene um, came out. And so it was like almost like the, it was like a triangle. It was like the Bay Area, Miami, and then some parts of the South. Like we were all involved. So, yeah, so we definitely made it out to the Bay Area in the 90s, in, in Bay Area and L.A. And we played, you know, we played those. It, we didn't really play any other place in California. That was pretty much it, the Bay Area and uh, LA. And, um, then after my injury, I ended up moving to the Bay area because, and I will tell you why, because after I had my injury, all my non-disabled friends who had moved to the Bay area were like, you have to move to the Bay area. This is the most handicapped accessible place in the country. And, you know, I was nearly disabled and, you know, I think I was kind of processing, the way I would have to do things now. So, the, you know, I was kind of thinking more about that than really about what that meant to be the most accessible city in the country. And um, so I went there, I moved there. And well, I actually, I was kind of afraid to move there because still I was afraid because now I was disabled. I didn't know how I was going to get a job. I did, I did learn web design and, you know, so, you know, kind of had that tool under my belt thinking maybe I could go to the Bay Area and do that. Um, but I was still a little freaked out to move to the Bay Area. So I ended up moving to LA first because LA was cheaper. And I had some friends there that were going to, I forget what that place, it's Art Center. Like Mike Kelly used to work there. I think it's called Art Center or something. I forget what that place is. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I changed their name. It's in Pasadena. So that, uh, yeah, I had some friends that were going to college there and doing their masters and stuff there. So they were like, you can move in with us till you get settled. So I was like, okay. So I moved to LA first and um, I enjoyed it. It was cool. I had lived there for two years and then I moved to the Bay Area and I lived in the Bay Area for about 11 years. Any final questions, Luis? Um, at the end of the day, um, 
what brings what is your definition of a disability and what are you personally striving for in the future? That's an interesting question. I've never, no one's ever really asked me that. So it, it, I'm, I'm like, I'm like thinking about it as you're saying that. And the one thing about my, my life is my mom was disabled. She had rheumatoid arthritis. So, and it, which is, you know, a degenerative disease. It doesn't, it, it starts off not as bad as it gets towards the end. So I, and she got, essentially around the year I was born. So she always had it as I, as you know, as my knowledge went as a child parent knowledge. And so I just think, and you know, this was in 1968, this happened. So the ADA wasn't passed, the 504 hadn't happened. None of that had happened. And um, so my mom, I don't know, we just, we were an Indian family. My parents came from India. So we just were, we just worked as a unit, you know, so that's like how, so it was like, I actually wrote a piece about that and I'll, I'll send it to you guys. Um, it's called being raised with a mother with a disability. And, and so, um, I talk about it in that how she was disabled. Of course we know that now, but you know, growing up, she never really put it in terms like I'm disabled. I don't have rights. People aren't, you know, it was almost like this is happening to me. And we just figured out how she could do things. And then, you know, eventually it got really bad. So she couldn't really work and stuff, but, but we traveled, like we had really a full, my mother had a very full life. Like she, uh, we travel every, my father was a professor, uh, uh, in a college. So every spring, every winter break, every summer, we had he had vacation so we would go travel and we would, and we would go to india but my dad was a, my dad was an adventurer so he was like he we would go and go to japan and then go to india or go to thailand and then go to india you know like go see some other place and then fly to india and visit our family but you know my mom was disabled through that entire time and it was basically you know, when we were little kids, of course, me and my younger brother couldn't help. So it was my father. But then when it was older, you know, when we were teenagers, we could do stuff. So it was like me, my father, my brother. And that's, and it was, we just didn't even, it wasn't even like a question. It's just, that's just what we did, you know? So for me, like the definition of a disability, that's why I think I feel like this definition of what we as society see as a disability that it's so bad. And at a time, yeah, it was bad to have, but now we are living in the age of where we have Zoom meetings, we have Facebook, we have internet, we have email, we have text messaging. There's so, you know, now, you know, for people that can't use their hands and they can, you know, use, I, I, I don't use it, but drag in dictation. I know a lot of my friends with disabilities that have uh, trouble with that they use that and they're able to communicate and be part of the world so yeah in the 1800s sure disability was a very negative thing I can see that but now no disabilities definition needs to change it is not a negative thing it's just something we have 
and it's just part of our identity, like our race, our gender, our sexual, you know, sexual preferences or, you know, our identity of gender. Disability is just another identifier. And it really, we really need to start thinking that in that way now, because disabled people can actually be a part of the world like everyone else. And they can contribute to the society. Yeah, exactly. I actually have a body of work and I want both of you guys to be in it. It's called Unrecognized Potential. So what I've been doing is, cause I don't know, I live in Asheville and photography, I don't know, the photography here that sells is like landscapes of mountains and uh, that's not what I do. So I, I was just like, what do I do? So I've been taking my photographs and even old photographs I took a long time ago and I'll, I'll put on the computer and I'll digitally manipulate it. And I kind and so this one body of work I'm doing is called unrecognized potential. And my idea at first being a photographer, my idea was like, I'll go around the country and photograph disabled people and then make a zine or a book or something that would just have the picture and, just talk about what people do. Be like, hey, hey, Derek we, is we, you know, you know, and goes to school and does this. So people will see that they're disabled, but they're actually doing things that other people are doing. So they are potentials we are not recognizing in our communities. Right. So I, I have the same idea to do a, a book where I want to photograph a person. Mm hmm and tell their story. I know. When I first met Derek, like we were talking, I was like, oh my God, Derek, you and I have the same ideas here. We need to start mm. this stuff together. So, yeah. Derek and I are going to do something in the future. I haven't figured it out. But he also wanted to do a comic book. And I was like, oh my God, I had an idea of doing a comic book. So, we would love to have you back maybe next month or in February. We're gonna sure. call it. We're gonna call it disability. Uh, something with disability, like positive disability, or or something like that. We'll we'll yeah. We'll yeah. We'll have a conversation about that. Totally into that. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe you could show. You could show. So might be a or something like that. <laughs> oh my! I when I heard your guys' podcast, I was like, I want to be on this. I've never. <laughs> I listen to podcasts, but I'm never like, I want to be on this podcast. But when I heard you guys, I'm like, I want to be on these guys' podcasts. So I'm having <laughs> thing with you guys. Thank you. Love you guys Thank do. you. Thank you, everyone. Um, this has been the Overup Comment Podcast. I'm Derek. I'm Louise. And Pia, our guest, she's going to be back um, after the holidays. Any final thoughts, Priya? No, um, I just want to tell everyone that when you are building your communities, please, when the way to be inclusive, um, we, oh, sorry, Robert messed me up. There. But anyway, I do want to tell everyone that I am doing a disabled art makers, uh, makers art sale. So follow my DIY able Facebook page, uh, Instagrams, check that out, you know, to support disabled artists. But my words of wisdom is to communities. When you are building your communities, 
you you're not being inclusive if you're not thinking about disabled people so think about that when you're making a restaurant when you're getting a diy space think about how you can include disabled people and if you can't figure it out ask a disabled person we can tell you we are not shy at sharing our information no we are happy to share information so you know don't if you're not disabled you're not going to know how to do it so reach out to the disabled community and we will help you and you can help us and that's how it works do me a favor when we get off here send me all your um instagrams and once we post it i'll tag you on those okay cool awesome yeah we'll put them with the youtube video yeah. okay awesome i sure will Thank, and I only want to interview you guys too. I do a thing called DIY Able Talk, and where I just talk to people that are disabled about what they do, and you know, okay, we could talk about the disability, like what your disability is, if you want. But I really just want to. I mean, I feel it's important to talk about this so people know you're disabled. But yep. then, then I just want to go into what you want to do and what you do in life, just so we can normalize what disability is to everyone. Right. So I would love to I'm have I'm open. You. I'm okay. open. We're open. Okay, I'll do, I'll do both of you guys. I, I, <laughs> we're a good team. I want to keep it the duo together. So I'm sorry I'm eating while I'm doing this, but I'm hungry. But anyway, so yeah, I'd love to have you guys on. And you can edit this out of the interview, but another thing I'm doing is I'm in this project doing oral histories of people with disabilities during COVID-19. And it's not my project, it's I'm just working with a group of people. So I'd love to interview you guys for that. And if, and they're looking for disabled people with more diversity. Um, so if you know anyone disabled that would want to be interviewed about that, send them my direction and we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll do. And I'll write you about that too. You don't have to. Okay. Thank you, you so much. I talk a lot, <laughs> a lot and I talk fast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, I love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank love you for having me. <laughs> um, um, yeah. I message you, Priya. Luis, I'll FaceTime you. Okay, All yes. Right. I'll message you too. And Luis, are you on Facebook? What's your last name? Alemus, L-E-M-S in Michael, U-S as in Sam. Okay, so Luis, L-U-I-S, right? Yes. Okay, I'm from Miami. I know the <laughs> Spanish version of Luis, not Louis, not like L-O-U-I-S. Right, thank you. What is that, Luis? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start recording.